Welcome to the Share Your Story podcast. A space where you can hear people's true stories to inspire us to live better ones ourselves. back to share your stories mental health awareness week series we're almost halfway through and we've had some amazing stories tonight is our event in brighton so if you're in brighton come on down to one chat at seven o'clock i'm dave i'm joining cedar just for this one episode to sort of help introduce so nice to see you or speak to you again after being away for a few episodes but um Cedar, i don't know i don't know if you've already sort of planned to talk about this in future mm-hmm. but what made you decide to do this series i really wanted to do the mental health awareness week because i've watched various friends and family members struggle so much with their mental health but feel like they can't tell people because they're ashamed or like they feel like maybe they're bothered people by telling people but actually to share the load and open up to people is actually really amazing and people start to realize they're not alone in their feelings and that's why i really wanted to share these stories But I think it is really important to share stories and to share with each other. And I'm so proud and amazed by the people who've come to me and asked to tell their stories because, my God, what a thing to do. Yeah, and what's that process been like? Like, how have you found it? It was amazing. Like, I feel like I've I've met people who I'd be friends with and and I've made some amazing connections with people. That's cool. And what do you hope people go away from the series thinking feeling wanting to do what impact do you hope it has I did kind of hope that that people would feel like they are not alone and I want them to feel like they can tell their story as long as these stories help people then that's my main aim in some way even if it's just like one or two people that's quite good cool nice I'm sure <laughs> it would definitely do that um and Dave, how are you feeling tonight about the Mental Health Awareness Week Good. event? Good, yeah. It's been lots of planning and work goes into every event and it's nice when it finally comes around and always a slight sense of nerves as well, just a sense of hope people will come, hope that the speakers will all be okay, hope that it'll be a valuable evening, but that always sort of melts away on the evening and I find there's always one speaker at least that really stands out and speaks to me personally and then at the end when I talk to other people mm. there you always pick out different people who have said different things so I feel good about it and it's the last one before the summer and I'm going away for a while on Friday and it feels a bit like that sense of the last day of school as well Holiday. <laughs> holidays <laughs> coming so I'm really looking forward to it but I think mm. there's also a thing of I, I'm really looking forward to sort of everyone being in the room mm. and getting on and doing it Do you think that stories play a part in the mental health awareness world? Do you think they have an importance? I mean, I can't really comment in terms Mm. of what's going on already, but I think they should be front Mm. and centre in terms of like stories are the way that we navigate our lives and the way we understand the world. So the stories that we give meaning to, the stories that we believe are true and the stories that we say aren't true, Mm. they really matter to us. So I think hearing people's stories of things they've experienced uh, things that they've been through like, um, just journeys that people have been on things that we can't even imagine or think of by ourselves but that you maybe hear about but actually when you meet someone or hear someone's real story of it I think it really brings mm-hmm. it home 
and makes you realize actually this is this is something real and this is something true and so I think that really yeah stories to me are the 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 key thing of making people understand and more aware about mental health stuff mm. because facts and abstract information is one thing but actually when you meet someone you look in their eyes and you hear what they've got to say it does do something to you and it touches you and it moves mm. you to to think differently I think yeah and I think if you've got a story either share it with doesn't have to be with us so you're welcome to share it with us but share it with someone because I think like you say the process of talking mm. about it is powerful it can make a real difference mm. to people and if you do want to share it online you can use hashtag stories for mental health and you can share your own story on Facebook Twitter or Instagram or get in contact with us over our website or those social media platforms all right so who are we hearing from today sorry um, so our third speaker is Terry Harris, based in London. She'll be talking about her journey with depression and anxiety from the beginning, which was bullying in school, up until more recently where her job blamed her termination of her work on her mental health. Her openness is incredible. She discusses the hardest moments in great detail and how she's found a way to help herself. I really enjoyed meeting Terry and I feel like actually definitely have like bonded with her through this experience and it's really amazing so I hope everyone enjoys it. I really want to say a big thank you to the music maker Beth Chesser. I haven't mentioned her so far but you might have seen it in the info. She does our intro and all the music throughout the episode. She really gives a lot of her time to help us out and is amazing so big shout out to Beth. If you want to check out more of her work, go to www.bethchessermusic.weebly.com. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. My name's Terry. I'm 23 years old. Um, I live in London and I'm originally from London. Um, I grew up in South London originally um, with my mum and my dad. Um, my dad is a lorry driver, so for most of my childhood, he wasn't really around because he was um, driving night shifts. Um, so it was me and my mum a lot of the time. Um, I guess the most significant memory I have from my childhood is my nan passing away when I was six. Um, she was like my best friend, and I think that really had a, a big impact on me when I was growing up. Um, my mum is um, Tunisian, um, but she's Jewish, so she grew up in Israel. So I spent a lot of my childhood summers in Israel with my family who still live there. Um, and that's had a really big impact on who I am and what I do and how I perceive the world, I guess. <laughs> my mum being from Israel has had like a huge impact on me. Um, it's made me really passionate about um, the Middle East and peace and conflict resolution. Um, and also coming from a Jewish family, um, although I didn't grow up Jewish, when I visited my family in Israel, there was a lot of um, kind of misogyny in, in that culture that men have a higher place than women. And I always found that quite difficult, um, especially because I, my dad's a complete atheist. He believes in absolutely nothing. <laughs> and I had a kind of religious mum, so I had this really weird upbringing where I sort of believed in God but then I also didn't um, and so yeah how that kind of interacted when I was growing up was weird um, and that's kind of made me into a really passionate feminist, um, a really 
passionate humanitarian um, and a really big advocate for peace in the Middle East. So I guess because of that I always had a bit of an identity crisis growing up and um, because of having such two different parents and also yeah trying to form a relationship with my dad when he wasn't always there um, so that kind of made it very difficult um, to create friendships and kind of have like lasting friendships um, then when I started high school um, I found it very difficult to fit in um, I'm from a bit of a rubbish area in South London and um, I guess I was kind of an odd one out in my class in that I had a lot of vision and drive and I had a lot of things that I wanted to achieve and that kind of made me an outcast at school because I was often a nerd. Um, so from the age of 11 until 17, I was continuously bullied at school. Um, I had MySpace pages made about how much people at my school hated me. Um, I had verbal bullying, I had physical bullying, um, and my teachers at school weren't very helpful. Um, on top of that, I found it really difficult to speak about those things to my mum, even though I had a really close relationship with her. It was difficult for me to explain that the reason why I was being bullied was because of everything she had kind of made my identity to be. Um, so I kept in a lot about what was happening to me at school um, and I ended up having no friends at school really um, and I became very insular and this was at a time when um, MSM Messenger and that kind of thing was really prominent. Um, so it just meant that there was no escape from it wherever I was, whether I was at home or at school, I was constantly being um, harassed and bullied. Um, that kind of led me into a spiral because I didn't have anyone to speak to. Um, I began self-harming. It was never really severe, um, but at some point my my mum noticed. Um, I think I must have had a shower or something and she was really, really upset. And that was really difficult because I was upset and that was the reason why I was doing it and it was difficult for me to take on her own upset um, about that situation but we went to the doctors and um, he asked me a number of questions about how I was feeling and I kind of explained my reasoning for um, self-harming um, and he kind of brushed over it and said you know it's just puberty and and you're going to fit in at school and at some point you'll find friends and, you know, things will change. Um, and things didn't change. And I, I went through my whole high school being really severely uh, depressed. Um, and I continued to self-harm until I was 17 and I left for college. Um, when I went to college, everything changed. I made a huge group of friends. Um, and yeah, those are some of my happiest memories, but the bullying that I had taken on during high school had a really severe effect on my mental well-being in terms of anxiety. Um, I had severe social anxiety, which came out in really odd ways in that I'd constantly be thinking about why my friends hadn't texted me back or why um, I wasn't invited to that party or 
um, all of these kind of things and that often makes it really difficult to have friendships because for people to have to constantly kind of like gratify that they're your friend um, can often be really draining for, for, for people. Um, and so that often meant that I had quite a strained relationship with a lot of my friends. At this time, I got my first boyfriend and I fell in love and he was a bit older than me. Um, but again, that didn't work out very well because of numerous things, but those anxieties that I had from being bullied really um, made it difficult to be in a relationship with me because I, I needed constant reassurance that, you know, that we were together and that he loved me and this kind of stuff. And in the end, um, we ended, he ended up cheating on me and we broke up and that was really hard and that sent me back into this spiral of um, depression. And at that time, um, I got very much into kind of um, partying and that kind of stuff. And I started using um, drugs and have, like having promiscuous sex and stuff. And I used that as a way of making myself feel better and kind of hide those um, anxieties and, and that depression and kind of suppress it. And so I feel like I went from self-harm to drugs and promiscuous sex because they were both really good like ways of dulling what I was really really feeling yeah I kept throughout these years returning to the doctor and kind of explaining what was happening and you know he told me I was at a weird point in my life or I just needed to make different friends or he'd tell my mum that she should discipline me better so I didn't I wasn't so reckless and and those kind of things um and then I um, went to university and that was really great because again, I kind of got out of that circle and I met a lot of new people and I felt like people were kind of on the same wavelength as me and I could have discussions about um, all the things that I were, was worried about and it wasn't weird or awkward. Um, and But I think being away from home caused me a lot of issues and especially towards the end of my first year when I had exams, the depression came back and there, it was, I really, really struggled with that during that period. Um, there was points where I just, I wouldn't leave my room and I wouldn't eat for days and I just didn't want to see anyone or be with anyone. And I found that really difficult because my mum was usually my support mechanism and she wasn't there, so that was really hard. Um, so I went to the doctors and um, for the first time I was diagnosed with depression and I was given um, a high dose of antidepressants and told to go home. Um, I didn't react very well to those antidepressants. Um, in fact, they made my anxieties a hundred times worse, um, which made my depression a hundred times worse. Um, and at that period, um, I had a lot of really, really suicidal thoughts and I pushed myself to the limit with alcohol and, and drugs um, and I had to go home for quite a long time and my mum looked after me. Um, this was during the summer so um, I returned back to uni in second year um, and feeling a lot brighter about everything and I kind of returned to my group of friends 
Um, and yeah, my second and third year at university were really amazing. Um, but again, I think I suppressed a lot of those feelings of anxiety um, and depression with um, other substances. Um, and when I finished uni and I was kind of in the big world world on my own, um, without that kind of freedom to do all of those substances and have all of my friends who had become my support network really close to me, I spiraled into a deep depression again. Um, and it was, it got really bad that time. And luckily I was living at home and my mum was there to support me. Um, but that's probably some of the darkest periods I've ever had. Um, I went back to the doctor again um, and was prescribed with different antidepressants. And again, I reacted very badly to them. After I finished universities, when I was really, really depressed, um, my mum took me to the doctor and I got more antidepressants. Um, and I was on those for quite a long time. Um, and then I got a job and I moved to um, North London, where I live now. Um, and I made another group of friends again. Um, and I started my, oh no, I started my master's, sorry. Um, and I went to the doctors to kind of get taken off my tablets. And the doctor I had there was amazing. Um, and she was so surprised that I hadn't been offered any other form of um, like medication. Um, so she um, helped me wean off my antidepressants and um, she provided me with um, yeah, behavioural CBT um, and I did CBT for six weeks and that was really amazing but the major flaw in the NHS is that you only get that therapy for six weeks so what that meant was I just started learning all of the things that I needed to learn by the fourth week so when I had to finish on the 6th, I actually needed a lot more. Um, so yeah, and that was kind of difficult. So I started doing CBT online with other people, uh, with like online therapy and stuff, um, but I didn't find that as useful. Um, so in the end, I decided to go private and pay for therapy privately. And I'm in a really privileged position that I'm able to do that with my, with my job. Yeah, so I guess the reason why I went into my line of work is a lot of different reasons, but mainly my mum is my biggest influence in that. Um, my mum's been through a lot of conflict and um, that kind of spurred me to want to work in the humanitarian sector. Um, so yeah, I do a lot on women's development, women's rights, um, and that kind of stuff really came about when I was um, 17 because I've always had this big conflict in my identity that um, I really felt like girls could achieve as much as boys from since I, I was very small. But my mum's culture specifically kind of has this idea that women should serve men and that men are somewhat superior to women and I always found that really difficult and then I remember when I was like 17 um yeah I came across kind of feminist novels and and understanding that there was like a terminology for these ideas that I had um and that really propelled me and I started reading a lot of um yeah like Arab feminist writers um and that kind of spurred me on to do a lot more um, in that kind of sector. Um, 
and recently I've been doing a lot of work with Syrian refugee women um, and I think what ties in nicely is that the biggest gap for all refugees but specifically refugee women is that there's a massive lacking in in mental health um, and psychosocial support for those women and they're the people who need it the most because they've been through such traumatic events um, so I think the next kind of line of work I want to go into is building up my skill set so that I can help provide that psychosocial support that's so often needed by um, yeah refugee women <laughs> um, so the NGO sector has been really great in terms of my mental health, um, especially the first few um, internships and jobs I had were really supportive and I've always tried to be really open with my employers so that if I have a day where I'm finding it really difficult with my anxieties that I can be honest about that and um, yeah, try to work from home or come into work later or deal with that as best I can. Um, in my most recent employment, um, I had quite a difficult time um, explaining that. There wasn't, I felt like, an open culture to discuss those kind of issues. Um, and especially when I started um, my work and I was receiving um, therapy and the therapy fell during work hours um, I found that a really um, frightening experience to have to explain um, to my employer why I needed time off work um, and also because it kind of I feel that not there's a that there was a stigma but um, that it would kind of question the purpose of, of that like they would feel that it was pointless for me to take off time off work to go and chat to someone for an hour every day and I found that really difficult but I spoke a lot with my friends and I made some work colleagues and I found it a lot easier to discuss those issues and I was quite open about them in the end um, but recently um, what's happened is that yeah my mental health has been used as a tool to punish me in that having known that I have mental health issues, my previous employer, um, rather than discipline me in a way, um, it, rather than discipline me, they use my mental health to say that, you know, they were worried about me, that um, they felt that my, my um, mental stability had, yeah, um, I wasn't feeling maybe mentally unstable, um, and that, I needed to return home from a, a field visit because because of those issues um, and that really upset me because this all came from a, a Facebook post I wrote um, which was basically about how you know no matter how anxious and depressed I am when I come to the field and I work with the women that I work with and they tell me their stories and I see how much um, our training has an impact on them and how much uh, more empowered they are by the work that we've done with them that my anxiety and my depression is completely overridden um, because I feel so proud and happy and I'm so empowered by the work that I have done that that's overwritten and that Facebook post was completely misread and taken out of context and I feel that in that moment I was so upset because 
I've worked so hard to be honest about my mental health because I don't think it's something that should be hidden. Um, but that was taken and used by my employer um, as a way to discipline me without making themselves look bad. And it upset me that someone could use something that's so personal to me, something that I'm so honest about, um, and manipulate it for their, for their own means. And that, that's been really hard recently. Um, but I think what's been really great is that I've been having regular therapy sessions. And I think that's helped me a lot in that I know now that all of those anxieties that I have or when I'm feeling down, I have a space where I can take those and openly talk about them and kind of just let everything go in, in that hour that I have once a week. And I think that's really important for everyone um, who's suffering from mental health to have an open um, free and safe space where they can really talk about their innermost feelings and what's bothering them because I feel a lot of the time and I see with a lot of my friends when you're so consumed by these anxious thoughts or these depressive thoughts that you have it's that consumption of them that you have no escape from it and that you have nowhere to talk about it it's that that your anxiety and depression thrives on and it's that that kind of needs to be stopped and so yeah I'm very fortunate that I have a space that I can share those things and that's helped me a lot recently because I don't want to let the behavior of one ignorant person um, send me into a spiral that's often so difficult to get out of. Um, I resigned <laughs> um, and I explained to them why I resigned and I hope that in the future they'll think more, um, yeah, yeah, they'll think better than to treat people with mental health issues like that because I'm very fortunate that um, in this moment in time I'm coping very well with my depression and anxiety and I have a strong support network and a space where I can talk about those things so I'm very strong in my mind at the moment and I'm in a very good place but had that been to someone who or even me a couple of years ago that could have really sent me into a spiral which would have been very very difficult for me to get out of and could have been very dangerous for my own personal well-being and I think that employers need to be more understanding of mental health issues and not have much more um, more knowledge and more understanding of triggers of kind of yeah of mental health and also how to create a free and safe dialogue um, to talk about those things with their employees I think that's been the most difficult thing is yeah getting to this point but and that's the most difficult thing with mental health is that you can get to a point where you feel so strong and so amazing and there's always something in the back of your head that's like this could crumble at any moment and I think that's one of the hardest things I've had to come to terms with is that um, I'm never going to get rid of my depression and anxiety but I can have ways of noticing where that's going to come up and ways of understanding how to combat those issues that come up with it because I still have anxiety if my friends take more than like two hours to contact me I'm like ah they hate me um but it's kind of learning to isolate those thoughts and take them for what they are 
and I really think that, you know, I don't think that depression and anxiety is something that you should um, hate to have because I think it's taught me so many things and I think it makes me an empathetic person and I think that the way that my brain works in terms of those anxieties um, makes me a better friend in some aspects and gives me a good basis to do the, the work I do now um, and sometimes makes me a bit more logical than other people and thoughtful. That's also one of the hardest things for me is because I love my mum so much and I never want to see her upset but when I'm depressed it is so unbearable for her because and she always says this to me that as a mum your main job is to make your child happy and when your child has depression that's impossible and that for her is I think the hardest thing is that she constantly blames herself when I'm in that mood that she can't do enough to make me happy but it's really hard to explain to her that there's nothing that she can do and I think yeah that's been really hard for her and I wish that there was some sort of support network for parents out there because I think often when I'm in a depressed mood it's very easy for me to be depressed obviously I don't mean like it's easy being depressed but you're in that mindset and you're kind of on autopilot in that depression so you're just doing it but for the people around you and especially your parents and especially for me my mum to see your child like that is so hard because you're not in their brain um and yeah that's been really really difficult difficult for her so i think up until that point um when you finish uni your whole life's kind of planned out by you know, teachers or the system or your parents. But when I finished uni, that was the point in my life where it was like, everything's your decision now. You're completely on your own to be free and make up your own mind. And for me, that was really difficult because of what a lot of my anxieties are based on is um, having a, a kind of a lack of control and for me that was the biggest lack of control because no one was telling me what to do and I had full choice to do that by myself and that was really hard um, and also just having for three years lived in this bubble where all of my friends were five minutes away from each other and I'd created this whole life for myself and in an instant that was all completely gone and that was that was really difficult as well and it was kind of this like tug and pull of like you're completely on your own and you've got to do everything for yourself now and even though I was living at home I knew at some point I wouldn't be living at home in, anymore and I just had this immense sense of lo loneliness and just being completely lost and having absolutely nobody to talk to because my mum couldn't understand why I felt like that and all of my friends were so far away that I couldn't speak to anyone and it was just awful and I didn't know where my life was going and I didn't know what I wanted to do next and it was so it was just so unbearable and confusing and um that was the worst period of my life. And I had no escape because um, back home when I was living with my parents, I had no friends there. 
Um, so I was just stuck in this house that had also all of these memories of growing up and being bullied and all of these issues that I'd had as a child. And I was kind of, I was just stuck in this space and I had nowhere to escape and I was lost and lonely and it was, it was just awful. And, um, it took me a really, really long time to come out of that. Um, and yeah, I spoke to a, a lot of, um, people about it and I was, yeah, um, it was just really hard. <laughs> I definitely think that there are some positives. I think if you would ask me that when I'm in one of my depressed stages, I'd say that there is no positive because you can't see the light. But I really do think that the experiences I've had, I've there's points where I've been so... I've hated life so much that I just don't want to exist anymore. And that feeling when you don't feel like that is so powerful and so life-changing. Um, it makes you appreciate everything that you have so much more. And I think it makes you so much more empathetic to other people's struggles and other people's hurt. And I think in that sense, the positive that comes out of it is that I feel like I'm a much more thoughtful person and I do think a lot more and I'm a lot more aware of how my behaviour or the way that I speak to people um, has an effect, has an effect on them because I don't ever want anyone to feel like this. I also don't want anyone's family to have to go through the struggles that my family have had. Um, and I think, yeah, that's the main positive, that it's given me a a light and a thoughtfulness that I feel people with depression won't have because they haven't been on that verge of mm -hmm. emptiness. Um, I guess, like I said, I know that I'm never going to be rid of anxiety and depression, so I'm also not okay. It's a com always a learning process and, you know, something might happen that will completely throw me off course. Um, but I think what I hope for next is that I can create a relationship in a romantic sense that's not kind of consumed and completely um, warped by my depression and anxiety. And I feel like I'm reaching that point now where I can have a relationship where I feel free and honest enough to discuss my mental health issues, but also feel that um, they're not going to completely get in the way of, of that relationship. and. I hope that in the future I'll keep learning to deal with these things um, and find new coping mechanisms and also be able to help other people to speak more openly about it um, because, yeah, I think it makes you feel a lot better when you can just get everything off your chest and not feel like you have to hide something that's so innate and such a big part of you. I think it's really hard when you're in that moment, but don't let other people tell you who you are because I think that was the biggest thing for me when I was being bullied is that I let them create an identity for me and I, my biggest piece of advice is to, despite all of that, learn about, it's going to sound really cliche, but learn really who you are and all of the things that you enjoy and all of the things you love and that you're passionate about and put your focus into those things. Um, 
And also don't be afraid to talk to people. I found it really difficult to speak to my parents about it. And I think that was the biggest mistake I made because, you know, your parents are there to love you no matter what and whoever you are. And I think have the, if there's one thing you can be courageous about is be courageous about telling people that you're upset and that you're, you're hurting because the more you suppress that, I think the worse it would get. So yeah. Um, be true to yourself and talk to people as cliche as that sounds <laughs> worst thing is feeling like you're the only person in the world and feeling so lonely and I think that some of the best things that have happened to me is hearing other people's stories of being depressed or having those anxious thoughts and knowing that you're not alone and you're not crazy and other people have these things and it just means that you're a different person with a different personality and that you're super special in your own way um, and I think that stories are a great way of pushing that message to people. <laughs>